Welcome to AIs and with Andrew and Jen, a podcast where a designer and a data scientist break it down and duke it out over how to create awesome AI experiences. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to this episode of AI Zen with Andrew and Jen. Today, we have a fun topic for you. We're going to talk culture. Jen, that sounds like a good idea. We should go get some culture. (laughs) I totally agree. It's Friday. We should be out there doing all the things that keep Austin weird. You should come here. I think that's a great idea. So your original suggestion was, hey, let's talk about data science and design culture, how they're the same, how they're different, how they can work together. I think that's kind of fun. Uh, Would you like to go first? Well, let me start by saying why I've been thinking about this like a lot lately. Uh, I don't know if you had you you didn't have this experience because you were in data design. Maybe you have something parallel to it, but... Uh, for product development, there was this time years ago when we realized we needed to bring developers and designers onto the same teams. And we've been feeling the fallout of that like awful, awkward, terribly handled transition ever since. And um, I know this deeply because many of my friends are developers and designers and we talk all the time about I can't stand it when developers do this or oh my god designers are just so cranky all the time like we all have our own opinions about each other so I'm um you know always working with design teams now trying to teach them how to do AI stuff and I'm seeing a future where we're going to go through the same migration of bringing data science onto uh, product development teams, perhaps. And I really want that to go better than it went when we merged design and development. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about this today. I wanted to find out, like, what are the things we're, um, you know, similar and different and what's going to go bad that we could better prep for that kind of stuff. Well, well, first, I think what you just did was a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, You know, it's the sort of double-edged sword of communications, right? Now that we're in the same room, now we actually have to hear what the other people are saying and why aren't they thinking the same way that I am, right? Yeah. But but in the end, you were probably complaining about the designers or the developers anyway. At least now they're in the room and you're getting their perspective. So (laughs) as painful as it was, you know, it's like a marriage. You have to work at it. Right, you have to communicate, work at it, and being in the room really helps. Yeah, and and a lot of times we're not. That's that's true, and with uh, a lot of data science projects I've seen, they started with the same uh, struggles that they were were not in the same room, and you would get you know midway through the project or later through the project and say, "What were you guys thinking?" And it turns out they had never come together in the first place. Right, so being in the same room is a really good idea. It is. But who were data scientists having to come together with? Like data engineers? Yeah, well, so there's a couple data science roles and, and we can go through them, but we, yeah. would, we would definitely want to have them in the same room as your developers, your designers, your stakeholders and everybody else. Right? It's important that these, these roles do understand uh, the project from that perspective as well. So I'll give you three roles. So first would be just the, as we would say, the data scientist, right? The person who's uh, crunching the numbers, right? Or, or building, building the actual models. 
we want them to be in the room to understand, hey, what's, what's actually the problem? What are we trying to solve? You may have this giant pile of data, but what, what do you want to do with it? And what are your pain points? What do you know about the data already that might help me as I'm designing a model or I'm designing a hypothesis? Okay. So that's role one. Uh, role two, we might call like a data engineer. Um, and ultimately, I, I think that closer to a traditional development role in that they're getting the data into a place where the data scientists can work with it. So a lot of times we have to do some sort of um, extraction or transformation process with the data. You know, it lives in one place and needs to go to this other place. Um, maybe we need to do some pre-processing or cleansing or, you know, something else to the data, getting it to where we can do a model. And then the third part, um, we use the, the technical term first, we would call them labelers. Typically, these would be subject matter experts who are providing uh, answers about the data. Uh, so the, the simplest case of what's a, what's a labeler, uh, in, in a chatbot scenario, you would take things that users are saying and the, labor, the labelers would say what these things actually mean. Right, because the, they, they know the domain best and they know how, um, how user input needs to be sorted or, or labeled. Uh, labeled, by the way, it is ultimately a term that comes from machine learning. It just means providing the answer, essentially. Mm. Right? So providing the answer that you want the model to come up with, uh, you need a team of labelers uh, to do that. Uh, typically, we might have one person as a, as a lead and then a couple people you know, working with them. Um, one of the interesting things about labelers is that if they don't agree, your model has no chance. Uh, we've gone into lots of places where, you know, there's there's four uh, SMEs, four labelers. You ask them what the answer is to some question, and they give you four different answers. That's such a, of course they do. But are they actually, they're not actually like, opening up the conversational dialogue and uh, tweaking the answers. They're telling someone else, you or the engineer, yeah. what the answer should be, and then that person enters it. Yeah, it's in gen generally it's, it's spreadsheet-based. Like the, the world runs on spreadsheets, um, mm. and that's why we had that data engineer as well. So they may take the spreadsheet and convert it back to whatever the data scientist needs um, yeah. as one example. Yeah. Okay. I, as you're talking, I'm trying to imagine who the counterpart for each one of those roles would be on a product development team. So let me throw this at you. Here's what I'm kind of thinking. Your data scientist is the person that's figuring out how to uh, solve the why, the question that or the problem that we're trying to answer. So to me, that's either like design or maybe strategy. If you're lucky to have a strategist on a design team, that's not always the case. Um, but they, you know, as designers, we kind of like to take a 10,000 foot view in the beginning of the project, set some intentions and like create a, a solid brief that becomes the North Star. Mm -hmm. And then we start to noodle down into it after, you know, as the project goes on. Is that yay? Kind I, of I, I think that's part of it. Uh, so I, I would think of them uh, also along the lines of what you expect out of your development team. 
you know, you have some sort of lead, usually like a tech lead or, or an architect, they need to have an understanding of the problem uh, to, to do their job effectively, but they, they know uh, the technical bits behind it. So the, the data scientist is really good at math, right? Or really good at machine learning. Um, mm. And if you do the 80-20 of it, like they're the 80% really good at, at the, um, and again, modeling math, et cetera, but they, they need to stay attuned to that 20%. Hey, why are we doing this? What are we doing, et cetera, so that they're doing the right math. Okay, then here's my other hypothesis. Maybe data science versus data engineering is more like front end versus back end development. So the data scientist would be the person like the front end setting up the architecture and what everything looks like and how it's going to come together. And the data engineer would be the back end person plugging all the cables up and making sure all the, you know, things are going to the right places. Yeah, I kind of like that. Uh, just, I'm going to tease you for using the word versus. We're on the same team, Jen. No, it's versus <laughs> and through. So versus. <laughs> no wonder your projects have so much strength. <laughs> I know. Maybe it is me. It is just an outcome of like, I'm such a developer groupie, but I am definitely not a developer because I have sat at bars with them. I sit with my husband and they can nerd out on stuff to a level I just can't. I'm sympathetic to the nerds, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, I am too. It's great, but I can't I can't participate. And when they go super deep on like how much they love their stereo systems or whatever it is. Um, but also like designers have their stereotypes too. Maybe I wonder if data scientists have them. Like designer stereotype is they're kind of, you know, the modern day hipster. We dress kind of cool and uh, grungy and we hang out at coffee shops. We like uh, alternative indie music. Mm, we are in a bad mood half of the time and then like crazy energetic the other half of the time. We're just like a very mm, passionate, uncontrollable bunch. That doesn't quite describe me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about data science culture then. Like what's a, what's a stereotype for a data scientist versus, uh, and, and data engineers? Oh, I think it's the, the, the typical nerd thing that they, they only love their, their numbers. Uh, they, they don't want to come out, uh, don't want to meet people. Um, is stay hidden in the closet with the computer and, and talking to it. Uh, any of that kind of, you know, nerdy stereotyping. Um, by the way, I think nerd is a term of endearment. I, I, I love nerds. I would only call you nerd if I liked you. Um, Me too. But I, I think that's what, that's what, you know, people might think of them. But, but again, that's why we're getting into the room um, t together, right, to, to get yes. past these things. Yeah. So I, I think just recognizing that there, and it's okay to say like everybody has their own differences and, um, you know, introversion versus extroversion and cultural memes. Um, but I want to get back to the way I picture perhaps these teams coming together. So now that you've described the data scientist role, the engineer role, and the SME role, 
let me let me throw this at you. When you deploy a model, and we talked about this last week, that data scientists can be maintaining models they built years ago. Mm-hmm. You were saying like you spend an hour a week. What if we could put that back onto the product development teams who are the SMEs, train them up on just some low model maintenance stuff. Is that kind of how you picture these things maybe coming together? Or do you think of it, you have a different idea? Yeah, so so you could get there, but but I would say actually, let's go back to the very beginning of the project, right? Um, be, before we've got any models, before there's anything to deploy. Um, so typically I, I know in your, in your uh, in your style of development, you start with a design thinking workshop, right? Or, or something yeah. like it, some sort of kickoff. And let's get, let's get those data scientist roles in that room as well. Uh, the most important thing we're going to get out of this is very quickly determining, hey, what's possible and what's impossible, right? So we, I, I always say machine learning, artificial intelligence, these are like the coolest names in the world for what these things actually are. Um, People think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to throw some machine learning on it, right? And my problems are going to be solved. And you haven't solved any, you, you haven't even done the basis of, can I get the data that's required for this thing? Do I understand what's in the data I have? What can I do with it? What am I licensed to do with this data, right? I don't want to go to jail. Um, and do I have enough to, to do the sorts of things I, I want to do? Uh, so... At, at a kickoff type workshop where you're, you're talking about, you know, your goals and what you have, you can get a very quick feedback. Oh, you know, this particular angle isn't going to work. You can't actually get this data that you think you can. Or, oh, yeah, you can get it, but it'll be six months. Or, or all sorts of other interesting angles, right? I love that you're the one that brought this up, even though that's primarily my job, I think maybe you love it more than I do even. Um, I get so, I think the best part about that beginning stage when you're doing the design thinking and the strategy, the best part is getting all these different kinds of people in the room. And that's where we all, I, I feel like that's where you really bring teams together and they can build uh, relationships and alliances. And um, because we all can contribute to imagining the future. We bring our unique, you know, experiences and perspectives to it. But the more, uh, you know, smart people you have in the room, the more diverse those people are, the better the ideas are every single time, whether it's, you know, you're thinking about, you know, city planning or like how to manage, uh, I don't know, a marketing campaign. And even with AI, where I think it's even more like incredibly important, important to have that diversity built into the team from the get go. So it's built into the outcomes. Absolutely. And, and just for the soundbite, I would summarize that as two key benefits one is that you're going to get better ideas with everyone in the room. And two, you're going to stop the dead ends in their tracks. Andrew Soundbite, yeah. I'm going to put that as like my ringtone on my phone. I love it. <laughs> Can that be our second T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> the Andrew Soundbite of, of the episode. <laughs> 
All right. Well, okay. So you talked about like, maybe it starts earlier on and yeah, totally. Let's get everybody in the room in the beginning and collaborating. Once we've got a plan down, do we go back to our separate corners for a while? Or do you think it would behoove us to all kind of be sitting in the same pod together? Uh, Like, I find it to be awesome when I have developers and designers sitting right next to me and we just move so much faster. This is sort of the the joy of co-location, right? That the idea is you have your project team in the room and you knock stuff out. And, you know, if you have a question, someone's right there. You can take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in reality, sometimes co-location doesn't happen. You know, we're, we're in different places. Um, the most important thing is just to be checking in with each other every so often, right? So uh, a culture that we haven't talked about is uh, development culture or, or agile, um, the agile methodology. One of the things I like about agile is that you have scheduled, uh, well, they call them playbacks, right? Where let's say every two weeks or four weeks or whatever, we, we take what we've done, uh, we, we demonstrate it to all the key stakeholders, and we have a discussion about what worked, what didn't work, what we have to do next. And whether or not we're calling ourselves agile, that's a great idea. Um, and if we're going to do that every day or every week or, or whatever, the important thing is that we're actually doing that, right? Because we're going to keep, we're going to keep warning new things. Have you ever seen the, the picture, Jen, where there's like, there's a bullseye and then the, there's, there's two pictures of the bullseye. The, on the left-hand side, it's like what we think will happen. And it's a direct shot, you know, left to right, straight line hits the bullseye. And then on the right-hand side, it's like a giant squiggly all over the place and eventually ends up by the bullseye. And the right-hand side being reality. For some reason, I thought you were going to take this down the dogs playing pool track, but you didn't. And no, I haven't, but I can definitely picture it and see where you're going with this. We're going to have to Google that one, put it on the show notes. <laughs> yes. Here's a bullseye. Yeah, this is how projects go. They, they don't, you have to course correct all the time. So you got to be together to, to uh, talk about the corrections. It's, it's not your, your planning workshop in the beginning is your most important one. But your follow-ons are going to be continually adjusting your plan. You have no idea how excited I was when I found out that data science teams use Agile. That conversion from now, okay, I'm a very... I come from like 1998 school of design where, you know, we were working on computers and everything was this waterfall process because that's what works when you're doing print publications. Mm-hmm. The most painful part of combining design and development in my mind was getting designers to transition to continuous deployment methods, i.e. Agile. Now I love Agile because I am a, measurable, you know, organize my things freak about everything. So when I found, you know, GitHub, I lost my mind, but not everybody feels that way. But we've gone through that. I think, you know, the hardest parts of that transition. And today, you know, most of the teams that I work with are familiar with um, some sort of tool for Kanban boarding and and they know what a standup should be like and what a sprint is and, um, what a retro should entail. So I, I think that part of this future of us coming together is going to go so much easier because 
hey, we're using the same processes. And if we're not, if we still haven't, you know, all design hasn't come up to speed on that, it's going to be even more important that we do. Yeah. So uh, just a little clarification. I don't think necessarily we're always using agile, but the idea of being iterative is is very key. Um, I mean, the data scientists in the past have invented their own name and their own uh, terminology for everything. It looks very like agile. If you just think, hey, iterative, iterative, that's the key, right? Keep coming back to that. Yes, I'm glad you clarified that. Who invented agile? I feel maybe it was Douglas Engelbart. Maybe that was bootstrapping. I think that was bootstrapping. Who did agile? There was, was a, like there was a group of, of developers. They did the, the manifesto and a couple yeah. things like that. Which the, the funny thing about it was they're like, Ultimately, hey, just talk to your customers every so often, right? And <laughs> and then that that became like you have to do a stand up and you have to do sprints and whatever else. Um, but they all they wanted you to do is to get get feedback and course correct. Yeah, that's. But I mean, if it, it seems like such common sense, but honestly, if you don't have it right in front of you to change your behavior, it can be really hard to do because, you know, we can get pretty heads down, all of us, and because of our wonderfully nerdy tendencies and we love what we do. Absolutely. I, I'd also add it, it tends to be or it can be a hard sell to the, the business folks sponsoring the projects. Now, to be, to be fair to them, you know, they, they have a budget and they want to see what they can accomplish. And they say, well, why can't I just give a, a work, the work I want, you know, describe it and then pay some money and come back and it's done on the day. Right. Um, and we, we find that these projects, there's a lot of, there, you can think of them in two parts. There's the part that's very predictable and the part that's not predictable. And we iterate so that we can deal with the unpredictable parts. Yeah. And that, well, I think maybe data science has had more of a challenge dealing with that than even development has. I mean, obviously, we have the similar thing with continuous deployment of software. But if we want to, we can stop with uh, machine models and AI. I don't know if stopping is really an option. And that's kind of I already see that as a hard sell. Definitely, definitely. Hmm. How do you, have you ever had to like overcome it? Do you have like the key thing to say to somebody to make that <laughs> problem resolve itself? Oh, I'd be wearing it on my current shirt if I had it down, <laughs> if I had it down that well. Um, usually the, the, the hardest part is that no, that despite the name of learning, you, you still have to keep at it. You have to help with the learning, right? You have to be the teacher. Um, mm-hmm. When, when you're past that part, and again, that being the hardest part, the actual ongoing part doesn't have to be so bad, right? As I described on the last call, even if you're just checking over stuff for an hour a week and, and seeing, hey, is it still working or, or is there something else I'm going to have to do? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm so glad you said that because that brings me back. When you described that in the last episode of like the hour a week thing, I just... I mean, I've been talking about it with various people literally every day since then, trying to think about, is it possible that we could put that workload on someone closer to the product? And if we do, does it mean we don't need to bring data science onto teams that they're always just 
you know, a different team that, you know, we bring in when we need those, those skills and that go away after. So the question is, Andrew, that one hour of model maintenance, you told me last week that you could get me there, that I could learn it. Now, could we scale that? I told you all those things. I remember it. Yeah, I've got it on tape. So yeah, you could train me. Could we train an organization of product design to do that? Yeah. So you want me to automate myself out of a job? That's fine. I'll do it. That's uh, our whole job. <laughs> really our whole job. <laughs> so, so yes, we can we can get it down really low, um, maybe to zero in, in certain cases. So, what we would typically do is we would set up um, some sort of an automation pipeline t- to deal with this. So, so again, let's pretend I've got you down to an hour a week where you're reviewing uh, what the model is saying, right? So, yeah. I'll I'll pop out a spreadsheet to you. I'll say, Jen, you and team. Please provide the answers and, and we'll feed it back into our pipeline and we'll test the bot. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you provide the answers and the bot's doing great, great. You, you didn't need any data scientists to help at all, right? Um, and yeah. you said, hey, it was, it was pretty close, but there's a few things I'd like it to change. Um, you can, again, highlight in your spreadsheet, hey, upload these, these new trainings to the bot. And that can be automated as well. And as long as you like the, the new results, uh, you're in good shape. Now, if, if things start getting majorly out of whack, like, again, we talked last week on this hypothetical bot where it got brand new questions out of nowhere, right? Um, and it actually required new training because these are things that were never in the initial set. And then go ahead, bring your data scientist back. All right. As you're talking, I think it's maybe levels of, you know, maintenance that we need. There's Mm -hmm. like, I need an oil change, 15 minutes. I need a tune up, mm, two hours. My engine block dropped out on I-35. So this is going to (laughs) require work. Yeah, let's keep the engine in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it happens. It happens, people. You can't help it. Um, Hmm. Right. And, and, and as we mature, we're building reports so that we can tell, you know, what's what's the state of the car. We're building the check engine light into the system. Right. If it's if it's out of gas, you know how to fill up the gas. Right? So you're set. What that literally means is you're setting thresholds that notify you when the model has exceeded those marks to tell you, hey, I need looking in on. Yeah, that's that's how you do yeah. it. So easy. I can help with that. I think we designers can help with that. That's why I, I knew you could. That's why I said it. You know what I did not think about, though, is your immediate response was, so you're trying to get me to automate things to put me out of a job. No, I, I was teasing you. Though. Were you. Really? Were you? I was. Yes, because there's no shortage of data projects. Um, so as you've got your first model, uh, developed, you're already thinking about your second one. That's how th- this has typically been going. Hmm. All right. I'm very relieved to hear that, but I'm going to keep my uh, ears perked up because I-, I wonder if that might be a thing, like a cultural thing, if we start to go down this path. Um, since we're almost at our 30 minutes, I want to point out or maybe ask, like, are there any funny things that uh, could bind 
uh, our different cultures together. And I thought I really, really believed in my heart that it was going to be Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> and until you disappointed me so deeply saying that you've never seen it, which it's as a nerd, your responsibility, but maybe there's something else that we all really like. Is it, I don't know. Thoughts. Can't we all just get along? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but emotional IQ is a real thing. It's a, it is a real thing. Um, so, so, you know, there's no magic bullet to that. Um, the, the best you can do is to, to be, um, Oh, what's the word? Empathetic, right? Em- empathy is, is the key. If, if there's one yeah. thing that you can do is just remember, come into whatever you're doing with some empathy, right? And that's, that's ultimately going to help you find, uh, find the most, right? You're never going to say, well, everybody in this room loves Star Trek or we love Game of Thrones or, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. But if, if you have an empathy for where people are coming from, their backgrounds, what they're trying to do, uh, that'll take you a long, long way. You know, what's funny about that is for me, that's the whole end goal of AI is helping humans empathize with other humans. Yeah, isn't that funny? You have to do it yourself first <laughs> and then you can teach the machine. And then you can teach the machine and they'll be so wonderful and yeah. huggy. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up for the day? Oh, I think this is a fun one. Well done. That was really fun. Um, next time, let's talk about Rocky Horror Picture Show and how that fits into our cultures. Okay. Well, that's it for today. We will see you next time. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.